This morning, I want to continue to talk with you from the subject, Joyfully Endure Hardship. Joyfully Endure Hardship. Last Monday, George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight by the police, although he was unarmed, cuffed, and subdued. Many of us watched in horror as a police officer kneeled on his neck for almost nine minutes while his breathing stopped. At first, I wanted the people filming to rush the officers and put themselves at risk to save this man. Then I thought, for what good? Even more people would potentially be harmed or killed. Now the world watches in irony as the so-called city of waters burns with fire. Enraged, people burn businesses owned by people in their own community. There is chaos, anger, a desire for revenge and blood. There is also an ongoing longing for justice, civilized, humane treatment for everyone, equality for everyone, and peace. There is even a deeper irony that for 50 years, Minneapolis, Minnesota was the home to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, a ministry that sought to impact the world for Jesus. In times like these, no matter what anyone says, God's gospel of Jesus Christ is what humanity needs. Nothing else will work. There is no other solution. And then I realized what I really wanted to see. I wanted to see an evangelist, a street preacher, confronting the injustice by telling the oppressors about Jesus and his love, his sacrifice, his blood, his cross, and his command for us to love as he loved. I wanted to see one of Jesus' own or a group of his disciples suddenly bow down and start a prayer meeting surrounding the officers with loud cries and tears to our Heavenly Father in Jesus' name for all these men. I wanted to see a gospel chorus start a worship service singing praises to Jesus and praises to the Lamb. If the gospel had been foremost in the minds of everyone on that street, everyone driving by, oh, what a different video we would have all seen. God's word about the cross is powerful. Our prayers in Jesus' name are effective. God inhabits the praises of his people. God's gospel of Jesus Christ would not only have changed the outcome, but also would have changed people. Only the gospel has the power to transform people to behave more like God and less like animals. Are you tired of injustice? Have you grown weary of abuse? Has your love for oppressors grown cold? Has paralyzing fear crept into your bones? Are you angry? If so, 
And if you ever expect change, then you must consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus, the holy, sinless, righteous, and innocent deity, endured such hostility against himself from guilty, vile, and wicked sinners, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was cut off out of the land of the living. Today, we continue to look into Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 17, as we consider the call to joyfully endure hardships. I want to start reading at verse 4 in Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The audience was suffering persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus endured hostility from sinful people, he never sinned. He never retaliated. He loved his enemies. He prayed for those abusing him. He blessed those who cursed him. And he did good to those who hated him. Sometimes we listen to those verses and we we sigh and we think we need more. But this sort of posture is the only thing that will bring about change. Nothing else will work. Unlike Jesus, in your struggle against sin, you have have not yet resisted to the point of death. 
When you yield to sin, you cease to resist it. This passage was speaking to people who were drifting away from Christ. People who were letting go of their confidence in Christ. People being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. People in danger of not entering Jesus' rest. People dull of hearing, neglecting the fellowship. People wanting to pay back their oppressors. People starting to throw away their confidence. People in need of endurance tempted to shrink back in unbelief, people weary and faint-hearted of running the race while suffering. That's who the audience was. They wanted to throw the towel in. They were tired of the suffering and the persecution that was coming against them. And we can learn a lot from this passage. They were not ready to give their lives up like those in chapter 11. This is why they needed the word of exhortation in the first place. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. To be Christian is to daily be prepared to die for Jesus and his purposes. Don't miss where Jesus was going when he said, follow me. His GPS was set for Calvary. Unlike these people in whom the writer of Hebrews was writing to, Don't forget your heavenly Father's exhortation to you. The Greek word means they completely forgot the Father's exhortation, his word of encouragement, his word of comfort, his word of assurance, his word of acceptance. Exhortation is the word paraclete. It is what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. It's what Jesus called himself in John 14, 16. Your heavenly Father is omnipresent in all your troubles. He is always by your side, ready to be called upon, no matter what you are suffering. His exhortation begins with your identity. My son, my speaks of God's absolute ownership and possession of you. You belong to Him. He has purchased you with His Son's blood. Son speaks of the rights you have as His own, the privileges and benefits of being His child, the pleasure He takes in you. Together, these words, my son, point to the responsibilities that you and I have to reflect the character of God and to pursue His purposes for our lives. His purpose for you is to be holy, to be righteous, and to enjoy and promote His peace.
Your father says, do not regard lightly his disciplining you. Regard lightly means to see no value in hardships, to regard hardships as empty and without aim. That's the way Israel looked at their wandering in the wilderness. And it led them to despise the God who led them. You are being called to see difficult circumstances, no matter what they are, you are being called to see difficult circumstances as fatherly discipline or training. He continues to say, do not be weary when reproved by him. Don't lose your motivation for following Jesus because of suffering and oppression. We must see hardships, all of them, as fatherly discipline. When Israel was in the wilderness, and even in Egypt, the biblical authors used the same words as those found here to describe their hardships. For example, the Egyptians afflicting Israel in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, is the same term used in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2 and 3, for God's humbling Israel with hunger in the wilderness. The word used for chastise in Hebrews 12, verse 6, is the same word used in Exodus 5, 14 and 16, for Pharaoh's taskmasters beating Israel's leaders with a whip. As you read this section, you must begin to see each trial, each abuse, each injustice as an opportunity for growth, not senseless suffering. God uses, listen to me, God uses sufferings to produce the most fundamental, primary growth essential for producing the changes necessary for removing the suffering. I'm going to say that again. God uses sufferings to produce the most fundamental, primary growth, growth in character. That growth is essential for producing the changes necessary in society and culture for removing the suffering that we see. That growth begins with knowing you are loved and accepted by God. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Discipline is a sign, it's an affirmation that your father loves you. It is a confirmation that he accepts you, he receives you as his very own child. How else can you deal with hate but by first knowing that the most important being loves and accepts you in spite of your sins. And if 
if you think that that's trite, you don't know what you're talking about. That's the only thing that's going to give you the foundation to love other people. And it's your love for other people that's going to give rise to change. There is no other way. Next, you are called to endure suffering and hardships like Christ because discipline is God's purpose. If you look at verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Why are you called to endure? For the purpose of discipline. God wants to disciple. He wants to train. He wants to teach you for the good purpose of you being holy, you being righteous, a pursuer of righteousness and justice, and for you to enjoy peace. I'm talking about peace right here, right now, in this world. When Israel was in the wilderness, they were severely disciplined by God so that they might know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord's purpose in bringing hardships is to leave you with nothing but his word on which to live. Your Father in heaven wants to limit your life to holding fast and conforming to Jesus alone. Your Father in heaven wants to leave you empty, without refuge, save in his Son, Jesus Christ. Because there is no other refuge but him. He doesn't want you running to anyone or anything but him. Or do you suppose, as James said, it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he, God, yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. God made Israel hungry in the wilderness. He afflicted them with hunger so that they would know that there is no hope apart from Him. There is no life apart from Him. There is no peace apart from Him. There is no joy apart from Him. Our sinful nature makes us dull in our thinking. We don't get it unless God administers some pain, some unpleasantness, so that we run to him and trust in him and look only to him and to no one else. Many people blame the White House. They blame other people, whatever it might be. We, by nature, don't like discipline. That's a big problem because it's the nature of a father to discipline and it's the nature of a son to be disciplined. Only bastards are not disciplined. A bastard is an illegitimate child and that is the word. 
an illegitimate child, an abandoned child, an unwanted child, without aim, without direction, without guidance, lost in this world, and no one takes pleasure in them. A son, however, is delighted in, directed, supervised, supported, and protected. A son is not an accident, but an intentional, planned existence with divine purpose. You are essential personnel. What Israel regarded in the wilderness, they regarded God's discipline lightly, and it led them to regard God lightly. Our problem is that we believe autonomy is equivalent to maturity. We grow up and become independent of our parents, but it doesn't work this way with God. Greater dependence on our Heavenly Father is how we mature. Our earthly fathers for a short time disciplined us, the text says, as they thought best and we respected them, but they were limited. Earthly fathers have all kinds of limitations. They have limitations in in knowing themselves, knowing us, knowing God's plans for us, even God's plans for themselves. Earthly fathers don't know the full extent of our struggles or our motives or what's best for us. They have limitations of their own sins, their lack of wisdom. Those limitations leave us longing for someone better. Our Heavenly Father has none of those limitations. He is all-wise, all-knowing, perfectly holy. He knows us completely. He designed us specifically for His special purposes, and He knows what is best for us, and He knows what we have to go through in order for us to reach the goals He has for us. He does not have personal issues with which he's wrestling. What's best for us, as we read it in this passage, what God is aiming at is holiness. You see this in verse 10. Godliness is what God is aiming at. Separation from sin. Separation for him. Holiness. What's best is to be like him, which means to be like Jesus Christ. Our sin fights this central purpose all the time. The Bible says it is a painful thing to be disciplined, but it is necessary to be holy. It is an unpleasant thing and a painful thing to see our need to change. We don't run to stand in line to be scourged by our Father, but we should. Our Father's love and His acceptance of us is affirmed in the context of being disciplined by Him. We must understand that hardships and trials are His way of training and teaching us to wholly rely on Him and His Word to make us holy to make us righteous in the way we behave and pursuers of righteousness in the world, the society, the culture in which we live. So that the ultimate result of peace, of shalom, of well-being, of completeness and wholeness would be experienced by people. 
Your father wants you with Jesus to say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Your father wants you with Jesus to say, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Your father wants you with Jesus to say, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. But we can't honestly say those things right now. We need Jesus. He's able to say those things with complete honesty. He's our only hope. He's our only help. And he's going to make us people who will say these very things one day. This posture in our Savior is what brought about a pleasing sacrifice for our salvation. This posture of humbly doing the will of the Father is what brought about the possibility of peace on earth, of its increase. Because that's what God promises in His Son. His government and His peace will increase. That's not something for the future. That's something for right now, since He established peace. It started at Calvary, and it's supposed to increase when we give our lives for Him. It is His daily goal in our life to love the Father fully because He first loved us completely. Righteousness, right living, rooted in the gift of right standing is the goal. This kind of right living flowing from right standing is what brings about a right situation of peace and shalom in the world. That's what the world needs. This result only comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the way to knowing God as Father. And experiencing this life of discipline that transforms our character to be holy, to be righteous, to pursue peace and justice, this sort of life of discipline is the only one able to bring about changes in culture and city and country and world. This is where God has placed us perfectly purposed providence. He's placed us on purpose in this world to pursue peace, to pursue well-being, to pursue shalom. It can only happen through pursuing Christ Jesus, who is our peace, and proclaiming his fame to this world and giving our lives up to do so. May God bless you.